0: You are listening to ComedySlamRadio.com. From our studios to the world, we bring you the
1: finest in quality entertainment. So pop some popcorn, grab a smooch buddy, and settle in for another fine show. From ComedySlamRadio.com.
2: Ah. You are live with Let's Be Frank on Comedy Slam Radio. It is Monday night and we are going to get ready to bring the funny. We got live in the studio tonight with us, Rick Stupinski. I'm live. You are live on and a Rick, Monday night. On a Monday night, after, your, after you got home from work and your kids were on a like, school night. On a school I'm night, I'm out
3: at night. I'm gonna be watching the clock, thinking, "All right, I gotta drive home. I gotta get ready for work." The whole, you know, so <laughs> I'm gonna try to be funny, but i also thinking it's a Monday night and I'm there out. There you
2: go. We also have calling in from out in Bel Air in the Hollywood area in California. We have Steve Bluestein calling in. How you doing, Steve? I am fine. We got
1: Stupinski and Bluestein.
2: It's like, perfect. What? That's
1: perfect. It's perfect. It's you know, I'd like to I'd like to donate some money anonymously.
2: Do just donate that to the Fat Davy fund. Yes, there you go. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. How are things going out in LA? You got lots of nice weather out there today?
1: Yeah, it, it's actually, it was uh, nice today. It was in the 40s and clear and no rain, and that's how I like it.
2: There you go. We had a beautiful day out here in Clearwater, Florida, like always. Uh, I know Florida is like your favorite place in the world, isn't it, Steve? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Love it. Nah, <laughs> I would rather have a root canal than there you be go. there. <laughs> you, you, you are forever going to be away from the humidity in the flat, sticky balls, Florida i was
1: I was visiting a relative in in Florida. It was like ninety nine percent humidity. I'm <laughs> stuck to, to the seat in the front of the car with my head you know back on the headrest, and she's saying to me, Don't think
2: about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing else you can think about when it's how that can you humid not think top?
1: about it? You know my wristwatch just melted.
2: there you go. Please. Your back is sticking to the seat, which is through your yeah. shirt, and you peel everything off, and it's it's definitely yeah, a change of life. When you get life. up
1: from a chair, it's not supposed to go <laughs> like that, you know.
2: <laughs> it's a great radio sound, right? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I got to see if I could duplicate that sound on my Zoom. Uh, so, Steve, you have been yes. in comedy since back with you know the vintage days, back in the comedy store, back in the early '70s, yeah. right? That yes, was, that... I
1: started in '72. At the Comedy Store when the Comedy Store opened.
2: Right. So I mean that's it, a that's like a long I don't want to say forgotten era, but there was a lot of things that happened in the Comedy Store that you know I've spoke with Tom Driesen and some other people on the radio show. I mean those are kind of like the golden days of comedy when it really you know if you weren't in the Catskills which is came kind of after the Comedy Store, but those were the you know, two. No, it most came
1: before the Comedy Store. The Catskills came before the Comedy
2: Store. There you go. Okay. See, I need people like you to correct me, <laughs> keep a young whippersnapper like me in line, so I get my facts straight.
1: But I, I'm not exactly in the old age home, you know. I mean, I'm. I'm but I. I, I do know, know. I hear I seniors are living levita
2: La loca lately. What? The seniors are living levita La loca lately, right? Yeah. Really. Really. But uh so you came. I mean, it's like the golden era of comedy. So you came up with. Yeah. What? Well, a lot of the when big I, huge stars that are still out there now. Right. I started um,
1: when when I started, there were only there was only one club that was the Comedy Store, and the format had not even been created yet. Because what would happen was you would get to the club at eight or nine o'clock, and you would hang around all night long. And Sammy Shore, who ran the club, would say okay, you go on next, or you go on next, or if a star came in, you got bumped, and you would sit there some nights from 8 o'clock until 2 o'clock in the morning, and you wouldn't get on. And it wasn't until Mitzi took the club over and she got it in divorce that she said, no, we have to have a scheduled, um, a scheduled show. And that's when the comedians started calling in for times, and that's when the an audience knew that at 9 o'clock, uh, Richard Pryor would be on stage at 9.30. Uh, Andy Kaufman would be on stage, and that's when the show started to build. It was also Mitzi's idea to put a light on the stage and to give the comedians an indication when the time was up because you put a comic on stage with a microphone, he'll go and you know until the
2: vacuuming when the room is closed. And he might not so, even be funny and he's still going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, all the things that are uh, part of the comedy club
1: culture today were started back then. They call wherever you work in the, in the country, they call where you stay the comedy condo <laughs> and it's called the comedy condo because the first club outside of LA was in Sandy. It was in La Jolla and it was owned by Mitzi Shore. Her son was a real estate broker. So they bought a condo in La Jolla to put the comics up in because they weren't the, sure that the club was going to pass. And they figured if the club failed, at least they'd have the condo they could sell when the club <laughs> nice.
2: closed. Nice,
1: And that was, the, and and so that became the comedy condo. And every crop hole that I have stayed in for the ne- la- next 20 years was called the comedy condo.
3: Now, Steve, I've stayed in some condos that the rule I learned when I was starting out was, don't touch anything is that true how it was back then I mean the comics before you were terrible no, nasty it,
1: it, it, in the beginning it wasn't bad in the beginning it was um, you know it was it was livable it wasn't until the heyday the the height of the comedy club era that the condos became a living hell right there, I mean I wouldn't sleep on the sheets no, I brought my no. own towels. I, I, you know, the first thing you do when you get in the condo is you throw out everything in the refrigerator. Oh, never it touch! Was,
3: yeah, never touch anything left in the fridge.
1: Never touch anything in the refrigerator with a ten-foot pole. Bring your own uh, soap. Was,
3: everything. Oh,
1: awful! It was, it was hell. It was hell. And of course, you're on the road, and you're, you're suddenly you're living with two people you have never met before. Exactly. And you don't know if you're going to like them or if you don't like On the weeks that you like them, it's a, you know, that you get along, it's a great, you know, it's a great week on the weeks. Sure. I mean, I was actually in a, one of these apartments, I can't even call it a condo, in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I was standing at the sink and I felt a presence behind me. And I thought it was the middle act who was a drug addict. And I thought, he's going to hit me you know he's gonna hit me with something i mean it was that kind of of living and that's one of the reasons it was that was that, that gig was the gig that i said you know uh, i don't want to do this anymore right <laughs> I, i'm just tired of it i've first, been doing yeah, it for 20 that, years at that point
3: that first time you find out you're getting a hotel by yourself not a condo yeah, I mean, that's big time there, right
1: there there's a famous story about me uh, in in Albuquerque, New Mexico, when the club owner said uh, I was supposed to have a hotel, but they put me up in the comedy condo and they told me that the middle act and his girlfriend would be staying with me. And I said, no, the middle act and his girlfriend won't be staying with me. I don't, you know, I don't, I, I don't know these people. I don't, you know, I'm a very private person. I don't, and we got into a big fight and, uh, he said, "Look, if you don't let them stay with you, you're going to be fired." And it was Thanksgiving Eve, the night of the, the Thanksgiving Eve, and there were 300 people in the showroom. Mm. I said, "Okay," and I walked. And and you know, so years later, people come up to me and said, "Did you really walk out on Thanksgiving Eve in Albuquerque?" And I said, "Yeah, I did."
2: It's, hey, you know, when, when you get to a certain point, you got, I got some things that you want to have, and you not want to share with strangers, and you know. Well, we all... you know,
1: it, it becomes, you know, when you have a club owner that that you're you're less important than the beer that they sell. I mean, you're literally treated with less respect than the beer that's sold in in the club. Then, you know, it's time to get out. And, and and what happened to the comedy clubs as it progressed it was it no longer became about the art of comedy what it became about was selling drinks and when you're selling drinks you're not getting people who are interested in seeing comedy what you're getting are people who want to get drunk so that you stand on stage and you're, you're dealing with nothing but a drunken audience who's not attentive who's not with you and then as you ploughing through your material they flood the rooms with the checks so that 300 people get 300 checks and the focus goes from the stage to their wallets and you and you and suddenly the audience dies and you know and I had worked professionally you know in Las Vegas and Reno and Tahoe where all of that stuff was done prior to the show and I just thought this is not about the art of comedy this is about, this is about the art of selling drinks and I'm not in the art of selling drinks. I don't want to do this anymore.
2: All right. And now that was that was a few years. <laughs> back. I just said that like my father. All right, so we'll go on. <laughs> go well, all right. Listen,
1: don't make him mad. Whatever you do, just let him go. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> How do you know I wrote that? No. Um. When you decided to break away from the comedy and you started getting into writing plays and becoming mm-hmm. a writer. Well, yeah, I I transitioned into, uh, I I was in Houston, I was working
1: in Houston, there was was this club there called Spellbinders, owned by a lovely lady, and she she had two clubs, and she was opening a third. And I had been, you know, traveling the country, seeing the diminishing audiences, because when Comedy Central aired, Mm -hmm. people said, why do I have to go pay for it? I can watch it free on television. And so the audiences started to decline. Um, and I said to her, "Lynn, are you really going to open a third club?" Um, and she did. And the club folded. And I thought, "I need, I need to do something where I can vent my creative energy." And so I turned to writing. So I, I took a couple. I took a year off, and I wrote a couple of spec scripts. A couple. Uh, couple of sitcom scripts, scripts and got hired to write some sitcoms and some tv specials and things like that so it was it was a godsend because then i didn't have to travel anymore
2: yeah didn't i see something about the brady bunch in there on your... oh sure bring that up why don't you why what's wrong with um, that america loved the brady bunch no the brady bunch but i wrote the brady
1: bunch variety hour the one with the swimming pool, <laughs> the one that was voted fourth worst television in the history of wow. television.
3: Well, there's three There's three more worse, so that's okay. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I don't know what they possibly
3: could be. Well, the Star they Wars special with the uh, Christmas special has got to be number one, so you can't. <laughs> oh.
1: Fourth worst. Not, what, what Christmas special? The Star
3: Wars Christmas special. They only showed it huh. one, one time, so.
1: <laughs>
2: oh no! I, that doesn't even I, sound uh, yeah, like a was, good combo. The it was, Brady Bunch by, Writing, Wars. you know who wrote the Brady Bunch
1: variety? Some of the smartest, hippest people in show business. Bruce Valanche was a writer on that show with me. Terry Hart was a writer. Uh, remember the commercial where they went, "I'm dirt, I'm dirt." Uh, uh, oh God, what was his name? I can't remember it. Anyway, he was he was like very Ronnie Graham. Ronnie Graham okay. wrote it. called Kleinschmidt These are all. Very smart hip writers,
2: uh-huh.
1: and we were writing. Hi, honey, I'm home.
2: <laughs> so, since since you have such fond memories of the Brady Bunch Variety Hour, what are some of the love other love the thing... people though? Love the people. Well, Still friends to this day. All right, that is awesome. What are some of your yeah. favorite shows that you wrote on, though? None of them. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote
1: nothing but but real dreck. I really wrote. Dreck. I wrote. Uh, uh, totally Hidden Video. I wrote uh, a Candid Camera. I wrote a, a sitcom called 13 East. I wrote a show, a show for Norman Lear called um, A Year at the Top. We used to call it A Year at the Flop. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I wrote absolute garbage. And that's – it made me a lot of money, but it was garbage and was totally unfulfilling creatively. You know, it was strictly what we call mortgage jobs. Let me ask You're you, right? did you know it was your, garbage?
3: Of course I knew it was so garbage. They gave, was you, every day. they gave you a <laughs> guideline and said, this is where you need to go, and in your heart you knew it was garbage, but you figured they're paying me, I'll write garbage?
1: Well, you know, no one sets out to write garbage. It, but the creative process, I mean, I've actually sat in a room with eight other writers writing one joke for a, seven hours until I wanted to take a pencil and shove it in my eye. <laughs> I, I got up from my up the desk. I went down to my office. I wrote 20 jokes. I came back up to the meeting room. I threw them on the table and I said, pick a joke. <laughs> you know, it's it, because what happens, you've got eight guys sitting around a table. Uh, everyone's got an ego. They all want they all want to get their joke in. So everybody's fighting. No, that's not funny. No, this is funny. And, 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 and basically, what I've learned is that comedy is subjective. Your history makes what you feel is funny. So if one guy was raised in a prison, he doesn't find prison jokes funny. If another guy was raised in the jungle, he'll find jungle jokes funny, but I don't live in a jungle, so I don't see the humor Do you know, you know yeah. see where I'm going here? Definitely.
2: So it's hell. Too it's many minds, too, too many hands in the soup. Too much right, going exactly. on. Right, exactly. The shows that are being written today are,
1: are so far superior to what was being written when I was writing television. Uh, you know, like um, Modern Family, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Who's That Girl?, um um I can't think of any other I like right now. But, but the um, writing on
2: these uh on these uh the TV shows and some of the screenplays, I guess that helped you hone your skills for some of your own personal writings like this new book I've been reading. Uh it's called It's So Hard to Type with a Gun in Your Mouth and I guess that was written by you, huh? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yes, it was. I, you know, I, I had, um, I had
1: all these stories that were in my head. Things that had happened to me. The, I, I actually, uh, I lived in the hills in Be- in Bel Air, and the house above me, there was a swimming pool, and it gave way, and sixty thousand gallons of water came down the hill, pushing uh, a mountain of trash into the back of my house, took out my office, my guest bedroom, and and bath, and. I called my friend Carol Prop, who is a uh, casting director, and she, I was telling her about what was going on at the house, and she was laughing hysterically. And she said, Steve, who has a life like this? I said, I do, Carol. She said, you've got to put it in a book. And so I started writing all these things that happened only to me, you know, and, and, and uh, uh, it turned out that it, it, it it metamorphosized into something else because as I was writing about these stories, I started remembering childhood memories and, and, and memories about like opening for Donna Summer and opening for Barry Manilow and opening Mm -hmm. for Melissa Manchester and and opening for uh, Frankie Valley and opening for Frankie Avalon, all these people, all the stories, the backstage stories of things that happened, Uh, you know, becoming really close with Rita Moreno and, 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 and sharing all those, you know, those personal insights that you don't see from the stage. I, I, I'm telling the story from the back, from backstage. Right. And um,
2: and I've read it, some. It became of this a cathartic book. experience for me. I, and I've read a lot of the, you know, a good percentage of the book so far. I'm still working on it, but I'm glad this stuff happened to you and not me, <laughs> because there's a there's a lot of crazy ass <laughs> shit in that book. Let me tell you. I don't that's, know if I've made a kind I, of you yes, listen you, you got to be a pretty strong guy to go through some of that stuff or it's got to build some character because I read through three days and I just couldn't believe what had happened between garage sales and people coming to visit and garage doors and it was just and credit cards. it was this crazy roller coaster ride of funny and and it, it's, it it's unbelievable that that day that the gar- just to tell the it's the my garage door
1: fell on my car in the garage a week after it had, the car had been hit by an Israeli kid without a driver's license. And in the garage was the contents of a business that I owned, an antique store that I owned. It, there was about $5,000 worth of antiques in the garage, and the garage door had lodged itself closed so I couldn't open it, and I was having an estate sale, and so we we got a carpenter to squeeze in, and once he got into the garage, he couldn't get out. He was trapped in the garage, and ended up peeing in an in an in a urinal that was you know an antique uh, spittoon that was in, the, and that was like one day of
2: that week. Yeah, it, it was definitely interesting. Rick, did you have a
1: question? Yeah, I
3: did. Um... When you said you opened up for all those uh, entertainers, I remember mm-hmm. back in the mid-80s when I was in my teens, we'd go see rock bands like The Fix. I went to see The Fix, and they had a comedian open up. That was the wrong venue what? for that. I don't remember who it was because when you're 16, I don't want to see a comedian before right, a band. Exactly. But I guess it was, is it different when you go see a more for established group or band or an artist? They're okay to see a comedian because that, as a comedian myself, that seems like that'd be a, just a terrible
1: gig. Well, I, I opened for Kenny Loggins at uh, in in Tahoe, and the shows were fantastic. And then they said to me, "Sunday night, Steve, wait till you see Sunday night. What happens Sunday night? Sunday nights the employee night. What a great show you're going to have. I go, oh, I can hardly wait. So. You know, I'm waiting backstage to go on, and I hear in the audience not so much a murmur, more like a prison riot. <laughs> and you know, I hear things falling and crashing, and people screaming and yelling. And then I, the, the ladies and gentlemen, the uh, Sahara Tahoe is proud to present Kenny Loggins ah! with the comedy of. <laughs> they didn't even get my name out. Nice. They That's didn't even horrible. get my name out. I walk out on stage as if I hadn't even walked out on stage. They didn't acknowledge me. There was no applause. They kept talking. I suddenly, stuffs being thrown up on the stage. I, a, a girl is crawling on the apron. She, she crawls up behind me, taps me on the shoulder so that I should get out of the way so that she can get backstage. And I said to her, do you, do you think you're invisible? Do you think they can't see you? What, you know? And I, I was supposed to do 19 minutes. I looked at my watch. I said, okay, I've done 19 minutes. And I said, thank you, good night, and I got off. The <laughs> stage manager's waiting on the side of the stage, and he says, congratulations. You just did seven minutes.
3: <laughs> uh, I have been there at many shows where I thought, that's easily 45 minutes. It's like 20. Yeah.
2: yeah. I've, yeah. Been, I've been there. It, it, was, it was hell. It was hell. It was hell. <clears throat> I am to the point to answer where... answer your question,
1: a rock band, opening for a rock band, unless you're, you know, like Gallagher or uh, um, um, Carrot Top, you know, one of the, prop comics, the, someone who is visually stimulating, it, it's, it's really difficult.
2: Yeah, because they're definitely amped up for the rock and the craziness yeah. of a rock and roll show, and then you're getting up there telling stories. And they're like, yeah, they're yeah, yeah. on drugs, and you're going, yeah. you ever noticed when you're blowing your dog's face. They don't care. <laughs> I guess it depends on what you're blowing in your exactly. dog's face. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. <There> <laughs> what, what are you blowing in your dog's face over there, man? I know you got three dogs, so what are you blowing um, over there?
1: Yeah, I, I know. I, I am completely
2: drug-free.
1: All right. <laughs> are the dogs? The dogs are drug-free, too, yeah. All except right, for a, good. A advantage.
3: <laughs> now there's a great question about the comedy store back in those days was it because tom dreason talked about this in the right. the strike and not, not paying the comedians about the drugs was it was it as much as oh we oh my as god we think are, are you kidding
1: yeah the, the, the drugs were everywhere i mean i, I did you get involved I, I was as guilty as everyone else oh, were you? Okay. i mean I, I yeah it was it was uh, it was a scene no steve when i was mostly, on the road
3: people would say hey let's go do this or go do that my thing was always, I mean, maybe I'm just a square, I don't know, but, you know, I'm going back to my room. I don't want anything to do with it. If I'm in, you know, Valdosta,
2: well, Georgia, the last thing I want to do. Well, obviously upbringing with normal parents. Yeah. <laughs> How did you ever make good. it a comedy? Dude? Yeah, it's so I know, normal. I know. Just give me a drink, that's yeah, all yeah, I, I need. But yeah. you know what yeah. you probably had the advantage of? You saw what, what happened to a lot of True. comedians before. Right. So when Rick was out right. on the road, he had already heard of. You know, there's a lot of comedians that were destroyed by the life they lived. You know, a lot well, of, I mean, of great. When I worked
1: in Vegas, I mean, I, I, I would see my friends uh, work in Vegas for a week, then go to the casino and lose their, um, their paycheck in one hour wow. after working the whole week. And I, I saw that happen a couple of times, and I said, you know, that's not happening to me. Uh, and so I would walk through the casino like it wasn't there. I would have like pocket change so that maybe I would put in a, a uh, in a slot machine. But as t- in terms of like gambling, gambling, no. The, Elaine Boozler says that they don't buy, they didn't build these casinos because people lose, won a lot of money. They build us big casinos because people lost money, and she was right.
2: There you go. And I know when I sent out, um, I know you're friendly with Elaine because she's a friend of mine on Facebook, but we don't really have a lot of conversations, but when she saw you mm-hmm. were going to be on the show, she made a comment. So maybe she's listening, maybe she'll call in, or maybe she's going to listen to the podcast. But has she already gotten uh, a tidbit of your book already?
1: Uh, yeah, she uh, she uh, evidently, she evidently got the book when we first uh, we first uh, set it out, and she put a really nice review in, uh, I think it's on either Amazon or Lulu.com. But the more, the more uh, exciting thing about Elaine and I is that, I have written um, a play with uh, uh, Arnie Cogan, who's three-time Emmy award winner for uh, Carol Burnett and the Dick Van Dyke Show and shows like that. We wrote a play called Tody, which is the life of Toadie Fields. We got the rights to the from the family's life and uh, for, from the family for Tody's life, and we got all the material and the history and. Um, we talked to Elaine and we're hopefully Elaine will be able to do it. we we'll able to play Tony, which would be
2: just great. I bet it would be. Um, who are, I know you worked with Elaine, obviously back in the day of the comedy store, who were mm-hmm. some of your favorite people to work with and who were some of the people that uh, you still talk with that have gone on to become huge comedy stars?
1: All right. Well, when you say huge comedy stars there's two kinds of comedy stars there's the comedy stars that your mother knows and then there's the comedy stars that are within the industry that the industry knows and one of my closest friends of that genre is Pat Proft who okay. wrote the original uh, airplane movies and then all the subsequent zucker films um, after that you mm-hmm. know Pat's written about mm, eleven films all of them comedies, all of them multi, uh, Top Gun. Um, he's, he's just brilliant. Uh, Carol Ita White, who was um, another one that you wouldn't know, but who was on Laverne and Shirley. She played uh, Rosie Rosenbaum, I think her name was, a big redhead, the tough one who always wore the, the mink. Uh, Gary Austin, who founded the Groundlings. And from the Groundlings, I was in, Gary, there was a, at the Comedy Store back then, there was a, an improv group called the Comedy Store Players. And in the Comedy Store Players was Carolita White, myself, Pat Proft, and Gary Austin. Gary went on to form a workshop called the Groundlings. I was in the original workshop that became the Groundlings, nice. along with Lorraine Newman. Along with, and then when the Groundlings opened their theater, that's where Pee Wee Herman became, Edie McClurg, um, uh, Lynn Stewart, um, Elvira, uh, who else? Sounds I mean, like uh, that's when uh, Paul, uh, Hartman, Phil Hartman. All, most of the casts of Saturday Night Live uh, are from the Groundling now. All
2: right. Well, listen, we're gonna we're gonna get back to that in just a second. We gotta take a quick break and pay our bills we got to let the sponsors get out there. So give us – we're going to get back to this in one second. We're going to talk a little bit all more right, about the right. book. All all right. I'll be here. Let's go ahead to our break.
0: Hey, Florida. In these uncertain economic times, are you worried about your job now in the future? Well, now may be the perfect time to investigate a new career as a consignment-first franchise owner. We are a Carolina company with a solid 25-year history of success. Be in business for yourself, but not by yourself. With ten successful North and South Carolina locations and more to come, we are ready to expand into Florida at this time. For no-obligation information packet, please send emails to dave at consignmentfirst.com. That's D-A-V-E at C-O-N-S-I-G-N-M-E-N-T-F-I-R-S-T dot com. Once again, that's Dave at consignmentfirst.com. If not now, when?
2: How you doing? Okay. All right. We are back. The, We're live. Go ahead. I love that
1: he spelled out consignment first. I yeah. love that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, you got to be careful. This is the computer age, and people are nowhere near as intelligent as they used to be. People can't even remember their friends or their family's phone number, so spelling a long word with more than four I, letters I, is tough.
1: I know. I, you know what the worst is? Speed dialing. What's your phone number? Five. <laughs> How do I know which?
2: You know, and, and I'm, you know, I'm as guilty as the next guy. I got the smartphone, and I, yeah. you know, I'm a big guy. I got big hands, so I use the talk-to-text feature. I don't even have to type on the phone. I set my appointments. When I'm writing yeah, jokes, know. I use, you know, I use the microphone on the phone when I'm filming myself. Well, you know, myself, that's, that's a perfect example of how
1: things have changed from when I first went on the road. When I first went on the road, I would take a trunk, and in that trunk would be a camera, music, speakers, a date book, a calendar, um, uh, an address book. I mean, all the things that I now I hold in my hand yes. in my iPhone.
2: There you it, go.
1: It's I, I say, if I had this when I was on the road, maybe I would still be on the road. I mean, it's it's great.
2: You kidding me? I, I read your I was reading uh, your book today on my phone for a little while. Oh, you cool. Know, you, you can you can read everything and do everything on the phones now. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: I I, I wrote a joke for Ross. Kind, she said, I love my iPhone. I can I can uh, I can uh, organize my dates. I can go on. I can. I can use my calendar. I can order from a restaurant. The only thing I can't do is make and receive phone calls.
2: <laughs> that is great. Yeah. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about something in your book, because yeah. I think a lot of people can uh, feel your pain with of uh, family vacations. I don't know that they could feel it to the extent of you. Because they never took their mom on a trip to Australia, right?
1: <laughs> and either will I again.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell me, tell me in the world how you taking your mom to Australia? Because I read about it and it's crazy. But I need, well, I need I you mean, to tell the people it, how this came about.
1: Well, it was like this. My stepfather had passed away, and I was calling my mother just to, you know, to see how she was doing, and and you know just kind of be supportive, is, and uh, uh, I said to her, and making idle conversation, I said, hey, you know, you'll never guess, I have enough um, miles to, for two free first class tickets to Australia, and she said, I'd love to go, I said, what, <laughs> she said, no one has ever done anything nice for me in my life, so I'm not going to mention it again, but I want to go to Australia.
2: And she probably well, harassed you every day after that.
1: Every time I spoke to her after, from that moment on, for the next two months, have you made the reservations? So I called my friends in Australia and I said, "Hey, look, my mom wants to come to Australia." I said, "Are you out of your mind? You can't go to you can't go out to dinner with your mother without you know without having the SWAT team come in. What you know what? Uh, what are you going to take it to Australia? I said, "It'll be fine. It'll be fine." So I took my mother to Australia. It was a living hell. It started at in the first class lounge of Qantas when uh, we were sitting there and and she noticed that they had a buffet, you know, for the first class passengers. Someone asked me a question and I looked away. And when I looked back, my mother was gone. And I looked over and she was standing at the table with her purse open and she was loading it with apples and grapes and bread and napkins and oranges and pineapples and with meat and chicken and cheese and whatever she could shove in. There. And I said, what the hell are you doing? She said, it's a long flight. I said, we're going first class. It's not like we're going, it's not like this is a Lewis and Clark expedition. We're going first class. There'll be food. Now, well, I was furious. I was furious and I, I left her in the first class lounge. And in LA they have these moving walkways, you know. So I was on the moving walkway and I could hear her behind me. I could hear her heel click 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 and then shh as you know, she would get on the walkway and then click 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 shh and she get on the second one, then click, click, click and, and then boom And I didn't turn around, but an orange rolled by me.
2: <laughs> flat on her face And
1: I flat on her face and she was surrounded with with looked like she'd Looked like Ralph's. The grocery store had exploded. She was surrounded by, by, you know, chicken and fish and and all this stuff. So I went back and I said, are you okay? And she says, I'm fine. She says, help me get my groceries. (laughs) So, wait. So, uh, my battery's going dead. So, um, I helped her and, 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 and we got on the plane and uh, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right. I got on the plane and, uh, we're sitting in first class, and, you know, first class is huge and has these big bins on the side. And she jumped, she dumps all the food into the bin, and the flight attendant comes over and gives my mother an amenities bag, you know, leather. My mother says, what's this? She says, the flight attendant says, it's a free amenities bag. Oh, isn't that lovely? She throws it in the bin. Flight attendant goes away, my mother hits the call button. Another flight attendant comes over, and my mother says, I didn't get an amenities bag. <laughs> Nice. And it was like that the whole trip. Wherever we went, she stole.
2: Was we she went, taking the sugar she, packets we went, and the pepper shakers?
1: Oh, no. I I said to her, what are you doing with this garbage? She says, I give it as presents. I said, who, who says, oh, Leona went to Australia. Isn't that nice? She brought me back equal. <laughs> you know, so I, she, at one point, we she left, and she was going to uh, on a side trip where they had penguins, you know, where they, the penguins came out of the ocean and they marched up to someplace, I don't know, it was in Melbourne, we were in Sydney, so she went on a side trip by herself, and I, as she left, I said, do not come back with the penguin.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that is great. So another yeah. interesting thing I saw in the book, and yeah. uh, you were in Paris, and yeah. something about losing your tooth.
1: Well, yeah, I was in. I, I was. I went to Paris, on another trip. I, I I'd gone to Paris with a friend, and it, it. The whole thing was a nightmare from from the moment we landed. I got strip searched. Uh, in the, in the. Uh, I, I say in the book that I was in Paris. Ten minutes. I had a prostate exam. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a nightmare. They pulled our luggage apart. We. We ended up going to the hotel with you know our, our, our luggage all taped together and shopping bags. You know we look like Polish tourists, and we get to the front desk and the and they tell us that our room won't be available for 13 hours, not three hours, 13 hours. Wow. So I I was I was livid. So my friend says, "Come on, I'll take you out to to dinner." So we're in the culinary capital of the world, and she takes me to Shakey's
3: Pizza.
1: Nice. <laughs> it, it, so we're sitting in Shakey's Pizza, and she says to me, what happened? What's the matter? I said, I have just swallowed a $1,600 gold and porcelain crown. And I opened my mouth, and there's a huge gap in the front of my mouth. I've swallowed a tube. So I was, I, at this point, I was you know, beside myself. She said, Lena said to me, "Don't worry. Whatever comes in must come out." Mm. So, you know. So, the next day, uh, she we're going to Versailles, and she's going down to the front desk to get um, to get a map. And she, I said to her, "I'm going to the bathroom." And she said, "Well, let me get your plate and fork." <laughs> I said, "What do I need a plate for?" She says, "You want to find your you want to find your tooth, don't you?" So I said, oh, right. So she, we goes to the service cart. She gets me a plate and fork. I go into the bathroom. It has a toilet on one side and a bidet. I do my business, and I'm, you know, I get this stuff on the plate, and I'm sitting on the bidet, and I'm really, like I say in the book, it's like, you know how they search for bodies in an avalanche where it are poking through the snow with, the, with long folds? That's what I'm doing, and I'm looking, I'm looking really intently, in and I look up. And the maid is standing there (laughs) with an ashen face. Monsieur, no, (laughs) no, monsieur. And for the next week, I'm known as the American shit eater in the the
2: hotel. Stupid
3: Americans, (laughs) right?
2: That is great. And everybody could read about this stuff and other crazy stories and emotional baggage that you've had along the way. When they, they yeah. can go to Amazon, they can get it on Kindle, they can get it on their iPad and e-book. So the book's available everywhere as downloads and as well as on a hard uh, hard and softbound copies, right? Right. The the hard the paperback copies on Lulu.com,
1: L-U-L-U.com, and all you have to do is Google. It's so hard to type with a gun in my mouth, and it'll bring you right to the links
2: uh to where you can get the book there you go and it was a whole interesting time and in, in the book you talk a lot about uh, a lot of anxiety and some other issues mm-hmm. and you know you you've, you told me this in earlier conversations where the book was almost like an emotional outlet and when you were done with the book you had such a like an overwhelming uh presence or you felt better about yourself and your anxieties and where you were heading with the rest of your career
1: well there were you know there were many things that i kept inside that i never shared things that happened in my childhood that were very you know very painful and i and and i kept them inside you know and and you know if you don't lance a wound wound it festers and gets infected and what i was doing I, and I didn't realize it, because I didn't start out to write a book that was going to cleanse my soul. I, I, I wanted to write down the stories that I had in my head before I became too old to remember them. You know, so I, I wanted to put it down in a book. But as I wrote, things it it became like, I, I call it a, a large inventory, like a 12-step inventory, where you just start talking, and one thing leads to another, and free association and suddenly you're, you're remembering things from your childhood that you talk about. And I actually, at one point in the book, I, I, I actually say that I have never realized this at all in my life. I am realizing this as I am writing it. And, and, and that was one of, I guess, Oprah calls it the aha moments that I had in the book. Um, and that's what people are saying about the reviews, are saying about the book is that Not only are they laughing hysterically, but they are getting—they're emotionally getting affected emotionally, where they're actually crying because there are many sad stories, very many um, uh, touching stories about people in my life who passed away that you know I care very much about.
2: So it was. Oh, not not only, only a book. All right, if you, want well, to, if you say so, it's all right. Well, say no, so. what I was going to say was, it's not only a book for people to read, but it was it was a great way for you to release a lot of pent-up frustration, gain a little bit of oh, clarity. Yeah, listen,
1: there are psychiatrists in this town who have whole wings on their house built with my therapy, you know. <laughs> and I, I got this, I got the book, I wrote the book, and it was like the most freeing experience I've ever done. And it was free, so yeah, it was it was a wonderful experience.
2: I bet it was. Hopefully, you know, I'm only two years into comedy or a little under. Hopefully, I will have the opportunity to have some outrageous and fun stories myself. Uh, yours turned a little bit crazy, uh, but hey, it it makes you the person you are today. It gives you good stage presence, and you're gonna sell some books and make a couple of bucks. So there's nothing wrong with that. You share a well, little. Well, you
1: know what. I, I, it's not. It's really not about the money because I'm not making a lot of money from the book. It, it's really not, uh, and I say that honestly. Uh, I'm making the money from the Apple stock I bought. Uh, <laughs> God bless Apple.
2: There you go. But Thank you, Steve I, uh, Jobs.
1: Oh my God, uh, uh, I. Um, it's about. It's about sharing, and helping other people. Seeing, you know, I, I say in the book, look, if I can get through this, then you can get through this. It's, you know, and so many people have written me saying, I never felt, I always felt that I was the only one that felt this way. I didn't know that you know uh, anyone else could feel this way. Well, you know, we're all basically the same, and yeah. we just, we all basically have the same emotions. We just, it's the way we choose to, uh, to deal with them that makes us different. You know, I, I look. I made a lot of mistakes, you know, along the way, and if the mistakes are what actually were the learning experience. A- at one point, after my divorce, I ended up in the hospital because I was so I had just let myself deteriorate into a into a crumpled mess, mm-hmm. and I sat in the hospital bed saying to myself. If you get out of this bed and do it exactly the same way, you're an idiot, because everything you've done so far has landed you in the hospital. Right. So you've got to do you've got to do something different. And I did. I tried everything. I tried religion. I tried you know. It wasn't until the twelve step, I found the twelve step program that I was actually able to become a human being again. You know.
2: Well, I'm glad you it, found it, it, that, and you found your way back to humanity there. You yeah, know, it's I mean, important. I was
1: a raving lunatic. I mean, I mean, I had huge management managers that I totally blew off because I was to, I was insane. I mean, I, I I was managed by the same people who managed Cher and Joan Rivers and and Robert Klein, and you know, this was a huge management company. And okay. I was unmanageable because after my divorce, I was certifiable.
3: Hmm. I had the complete opposite uh, reaction when I got divorced.
2: What, what happened to you? <laughs>
3: yeah, it was like life begins
2: now. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, so go ahead. Yeah, I mean,
1: I had a very—I happened to have had a very traumatic divorce in that I found out I had a, a child at the time and found out I wasn't his father. Yeah. So. That's got to so, be rough I mean, on anybody. I was not only yeah, dealing with the divorce, but I was also lear- dealing with betrayal and and with with um, um, learning that this child that I loved was not mine. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it was not a fun time, trust yeah. me. No
2: I, no, I bet not. Uh, but, you know, as we said, those things are what give us our strength and sometimes yeah. give us our comedy. And, you know, it's what makes us who we are. You know, uh, not everybody yeah. can go through yeah. it. Comics are a special breed to even take a story like that and be able to spin it, and a lot of us do it, put them on stage and put it out there for people to laugh at. I know. I just well, saw... I mean, I, I,
1: I happen to know a, a comic who
2: I won't name his name, but he
1: was de- his wife left him, and that night went on the Tonight Show and did jokes, of, and did jokes about it.
2: Ooh, that's no good.
1: I but... know. I I, I said. How do you do that? You know, I, I, the night my marriage broke up, I was like walking down the middle of the street babbling like an idiot.
2: You know. And then we had Rick, the night his was final. He went out and had a party.
3: Yeah, well, <laughs> i tell you, even on the other side was, you know, I lost my father uh, just this past December. And my whole family handles everything like that with humor. So Mm -hmm. even to the last minutes of my dad taking his last breath, it was like a little comedy club in that hospital room because Mm -hmm. that made all of us feel closer and together. And some of the funny stories, Steve, just a quick story. My father, Polish. So when you said the Polish tourist thing, that was funny. Um, But my mother was Italian And they were married for 47 years. On his deathbed, he tells her, I don't care for spaghetti sauce. (laughs) And he took, I said, he took 47 years of having pasta and red sauce one, at least one night a week. And then that's, that's that's a good man and a good husband who decides (laughs) to just eat it and shut up. You know, there you go. Yeah. So you you find humor in, in all that, you know.
1: There's, you know, I, I, uh, there, there, I have friends out here who are, I just called the most normal people. It, you, it's the way you approach life that creates your own life. And, and this guy was uh, 82 years old and in, a, in an accident in his workshop lost two fingers, cut off two fingers. And I was so, you know, I, I started to cry. I was so upset that he had to go through that. And he said to me, well, at least I did it when I was 82 and not 42. Wow. You know, you know, and I just thought, where do you find people like that? And those are the people who I've brought close to me in, the, in, this, in this chapter of my life. And the, they're the ones I'm learning from.
2: That's a good and, way and,
1: to go. It, it's so much easier to go through life doing that, you know, not, not, I, I would say my family, you cut off two fingers. They'd be suing everybody. They'd be suing the saw company, the person who sold the saw, the person who bought the saw from home, you know, but this guy saw it differently. And, and, and I, it's so much easier to live that way.
2: I agree a hundred percent. It's, it's nice to be positive and, uh, yeah. you know, a little bit more carefree and not be worried about everything. So I know after you took you know, after you got all those emotion outs in the book I'm sure you were able to relax a little bit more. But uh, I need to well, hear a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean I was I was able to relax until
1: my family the shit hit the fan. They I was disowned I, I was disowned by my mother and my my aunt called me up and told me I was never to cross her threshold again. And my mother actually said to me, What did you write a book for? No one cares about your life.
2: That's
1: and Wow. Uh, and, I, and I'm getting these these rave reviews, and every time I get a rave review, uh, I, I say, well, uh, I guess you were wrong, huh?
2: There you go. <laughs> and, I, and I'm sure that's a good feeling. Um, oh, yeah. We got about seven, eight minutes left in the show, Steve, and I want to I wanna take a little bit of focus. And I know we have Rick in the studio, and Rick did about 15-plus years, close to 20 years on the road, like yourself. And then he took mm-hmm. a break. From comedy and he's coming back in so I want to hear from him uh, a little bit and maybe you can feed in with a question what got him into comedy and what after so long got him to break away and why he's coming back so give us a little rundown Steve on your comedy experiences along that way I'm sorry uh, Rick well Rick yeah. I had a
3: friend who, who worked at uh, a comedy club Ron Bennington's comedy club um she worked at the front desk and we would go there and visit and hang out and you'd see you'd go to open mics and you think I'm as good as those guys, right? So having an in I got a chance to go up and I did it. And of course she packed the place with the, your family and friends and just and it went great I and mean, it was it felt good and it wasn't it didn't seem like a lot of work and you know you have people who can't even give a speech to their own company or you know right. 10 people But that's never been me. It's never bothered me. I've always used humor to diffuse certain situations. And I I never cared about how I looked or what, you know, I just, humor was there. Right. So I got a great opportunity to be a house MC for two clubs, one in Tampa, one in Clearwater. And uh, it just sort of became five, six, seven nights a week, you know, shows a week on stage. And it became, that's what I want to do. That first trip you get, I'm sure Steve can uh, tell you about this, that first trip you get to travel, it's the most exciting thing you've ever done in your life. I went to uh, Florence, South Carolina to do a show, um, mm-hmm. my first time ever traveling to do comedy. I knew right then that that's just what I wanted to do, and I did that. See, and,
1: and that's the difference between you and I, because the first time, the first time I traveled to do comedy, I thought... How many days till I get home?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the difference was, I guess, I was young. I was single. You know, I didn't have a family at home. As the time went by, you started accumulating these crap stories of staying in crappy hotels and crappy condos and sometimes not getting paid and, uh, you know, traveling to places where, you know, there's three people in the audience and they tell you, you're going to do the show or you're not going to get paid. You know, you're 24 years old and you're in Winston-Salem, North Carolina at a jazz club and you need that money to get home. And I don't do the kind of comedy where I can just tell, you know, guy walks into a bar type jokes. There's stories about my life. I need feedback. Right. And if you don't, you're not getting that from three people, it start to became, it became a labor instead of loving it. Right. And then, you know, my marriage started to fall apart and it just, everything was just bad. And I... Just lost I finally I was on the road over in Daytona, Florida, Daytona Beach and same thing. Two people at the bar. You're doing the show, you're not gonna get paid, or you're out of the hotel. And I had some money from my from my day job and I was comfortable and I said, you know what, I don't need it. I'll pay for my own hotel. I'm 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 not doing a show for two people on a Tuesday night in Daytona Beach. I don't need the hundred and twenty five dollars that bad.
1: And I well, just you know, I just drove point, home. I just drove home. What you're saying is basically what i was saying before which is we the comedians are less important
3: exactly than
1: the beer and they want you on stage telling jokes to those two people so those two people will stay there as long as they possibly sure. can and buy as many drinks as they can
3: now there's some great clubs that'll pay you anyway right because they know that you've traveled and it's not your fault and right. you know there's some clubs here in town that do that and i applaud them for doing that um snappers over in palm harbor if they don't have a second show it's not your fault most right. times he'll, he'll yeah. pay you bob's a great guy but i took five years off and a okay. good friend of mine uh, lou angel wolf i don't know if you know him steve uh, he's been doing comedy forever great guy he called me up one time and said i'm doing a show i need a guy to open i said lou i haven't done show in four years he goes just go do it as soon as i grabbed that microphone i mean i stressed for a month about doing this as soon as i grabbed that microphone it was like i never left yeah and now like riding a bike yeah exactly but now the hard part is uh, my wife and i just had a baby and you know leaving like us, told telling dave leaving on a monday night to, to leave the house and do a radio show you know you're thinking i'm going to be out till 11 on a monday night you know and it's like these younger guys they haven't felt that yet so if they get an open mic night on tuesday and it's in Fort Myers, they go. They don't care. Right. But for me and you, we got to get up tomorrow and go to work, and and that's that. All that plays in, but being on stage, like last weekend when I saw you, and I did that eight minutes. Yeah. Man, I felt like God. I missed this.
2: Yeah. And I Steve, just, yeah. What he's Steve, what Rick's referring to is we did a benefit show here last weekend or two weekends ago mm-hmm. for uh, Uncle Dow Thomas, who traveled all around the country for you know thirty thirty plus years doing comedy and he had a a great way about him as far as everybody loved him he took time out to talk to the other comedians and everybody coming into the business and we did a three-day tribute show and we helped raise money for the family that was left behind after he passed so it was a really great experience and me being so young in comedy uh... i got to meet a lot of people that maybe traveled for twenty years and you know, they've either stepped away from it for a while, they raised their kids, and they're coming back into it, so I've gotten to meet a lot of people that, as someone who's only in comedy for under two years, you don't get the experience, so it's nice to, to hook up and meet with people that have these stories, and you know, even talking with yourself and having Rick here on the show, it's like a little comedy lesson, or a little comedy book for me, I get to learn so much, and every time I have a show, I pull away with so much knowledge.
1: Well, you know, it's it's a it's a lesson for me too because the um it's the, the whole comedy scene has changed so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we started, maybe there were 40 comics, mm-hmm. and they were only in Los Angeles. And now there are regional comics who do nothing but make, let's say, the South or New England or uh, or New York, and they have a a, a circuit that they're on, and they and they have a nice, make a nice living, mm-hmm. but I never did that, I, I just always, um, was always here in L.A., and it was always national, It's very strange, it's totally different.
2: We all have our own past, I don't know if, uh, after some of the horror stories, and after all these interviews I've done with, you know, yourself, Rick, people like Bobby Slayton, and Steve Middleman, and Jane Condon. Mm-hmm. The road just doesn't always sound like uh, the better path taken. Sometimes, you know, I really am thankful for the outlet that I have here with the radio show. Uh, You know, I still get on stage two to three times a month, uh, whether it's at open mics, charity events, or, you know, over the last year, more paid gigs than what I thought I'd be getting uh, Mm -hmm. in some of my own shows. But it's an interesting way and something that Rick said just a couple of minutes ago when he was talking about uh, the feeling of being with the audience and you know performing in front of two people when you're doing a joke that you need a little bit of interaction from. Sure. Uh, the first time that I prepared, that uh, I did comedy in front of a hundred or more people uh, where it was a true show, not a competition or you know just a regular mm-hmm. paid show. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I actually did 15 to 16 funny minutes. Right. Because normally I'm the five to seven minute guy. You know, yeah, you open yeah. mics, you get an occasional guest spot. And, uh, well,
1: you know, but those plateaus that you reach uh, uh, happen all through your career. Mm-hmm. I I opened for Mac Davis in front of 10,000 people in wow. Hutchinson, Kansas. And it was the most, you know, you know what? 200 people sound like laughing. Can yeah. you imagine what 10,000? I mean, sure. I, I got off stage and said, well, now I know how Hitler felt.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, because I was just excited. Three three or four weeks ago, I did a show uh, in the beginning of February in front of my biggest audience, which was just shy of 600 people. And now mm. uh, you say 10,000, I'm like, wow. Mm. I mean, five, you know, five to 600 people is it's a huge room, and I thought I'd be nervous. And as soon as I got on the stage, it was a very... Uh, powerful or confident feeling. Yeah, um, a lot more than it was more powerful and energizing than it was nervous. Sure, nerves.
3: sure. I've always felt if you, if I was in Georgia or North Carolina small clubs, they may not have paid directly to see me, mm-hmm. but they've paid to see a show. And, right. that's, and when I'm up there, I've never felt never from day 1, never felt nervous or how's this going to go? I'm in charge. And the minute you get that first laugh, it's just – it's all downhill from there. It's so easy (laughs) and coasting. You can just – you feel like you got it. It's just – it's so much fun. I missed that. Right. That's what I missed. I did not miss – Having my breakfast at Village Inn by myself on a Saturday, <laughs> in in some strange town I knew no one, and going back to my or going yeah. to a movie by myself.
1: Right. Yeah. How man. many malls can you? Oh see?
3: man, you know you go to oh. you walk around and you go see a movie. I saw so many movies in the mid 90s by myself. Mm-hmm. I saw Pulp Fiction by myself, and it's like you know you want to talk about that by myself. Right. And you know then then you go have dinner maybe at the club or maybe in your room, that sucks. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's on the road that says that's great is lying. But when you get on yeah. stage and if you get to hang out with the people afterwards and they loved you and they want to buy you a drink and tell you funny stories and just hang out, that's what it's all about. The 23 hours that lead up to it are for shit. It's, it's just <laughs> plain and simple. Right. It's plain and simple. Anybody who says it's not is – you know they love – I don't know what they love, being alone, doing drugs. I don't know. I missed my kids. Mm-hmm. You know I missed being – you know, with them, but being on stage, no matter where I was, that felt great. And there that's what go. that's what you got to crave. And if you're just starting out, get that feeling.
1: Right. Don't think well, about. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you a story about about just what you're talking about. Howie Mandel, a friend of mine, and used to live in a building that I owned here in Los Angeles. And he, he, Howie was on saying elsewhere at the time, and he called me up and he said, "Come on, we're going to the comedy store. I'm doing a set," and I said why? And he said, oh, I I have to. Hmm. And at that moment, I I knew that he was going to be a star because he had to do it and I didn't. Right. And that's when, that was the beginning of the end of my doing stand-up.
2: I understand 100%. It's, you know, it's, it's a rough business. You can't stay in it forever. Those who do tend to break off and do other things. You know, Howie Mandel's mm-hmm. done movies. What, what's the latest thing he's finding talent across America?
3: Yeah, he's doing that. No, he's <laughs> doing a show thing. called
2: Mob. Yeah. Mob, there you yeah. go. Is he, is and let he... me tell you something. Howie Mandel is the
1: real deal. Oh, yeah. He is the real deal. He is a, he's inventive. He's a producer. He's smart. He's funny. I mean, he's the real deal. I, I, I like Howie a lot.
2: I... You know, you hear a lot of different things about all the comics. And uh, so with Howie, has he does he stay down to earth or has he lost touch a little bit? What do you think? Because I mean, uh, he's like a superstar. I, you
1: know. I would think that he stays down to earth. I, I haven't seen Howie in a long time. Uh, I, I, I do speak to Terry, his wife, over okay. through Facebook. Um Oh, by the way, I've been I'm in detention at in Facebook.
2: Yeah, I noticed that on sudden, your posts.
1: All of a sudden, I've been banned from making new friends. I don't know. Facebook figured I had enough people in my life. I don't know. <laughs> but I, 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 uh, I Terry, uh, I see Terry, and I, I think that they're both very down to earth people, and they've stayed pretty much uh, close to who they were when they were, you know, coming up.
2: That's good, and you know. There's a lot of comics and a lot of people in entertainment in general that, when they get a little bit of fame or notoriety, they tend to mm. go off the beaten path and, you know, lose themselves or what brought them to comedy and to their fame originally.
1: Yeah, there's there's a, there's a list written on toilet paper of those people.
2: <laughs> so listen, we're coming to the close of the show, Steve, and You're I want to. No, man, we have an hour. We're actually a little bit over an hour, but it's okay because. You know you're special, so we're staying on, and we wanted to talk to Rick a little bit. But I want to I want to take a second because it's my show, so I get to plug my own shows that are coming up, which is a good thing to be able to do, right? Right. So I got a show coming up myself at the Chase Lounge in Tampa, Florida, and it's going to be with myself. Uh, I'll be the uh, the guest act or the opener, this, the the special junkie with an opportunity, <laughs> and I'll be uh, with. Bull and uh, Max Doyle, and it's not going to be at the Chase Lounge here in Tampa. I think it's the weekend of March 10th, so it's going to be a great time. It'll be interesting. My first time at the club, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. i got to thank Robin Savage, who is actually going to be on my show next week when we interview Valerie Storm. Okay, good. Uh, and uh, so... Rick, do you have another show you're going to be doing coming up? I have nothing. Got nothing. I Have nothing planned. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a great segue into nothing. I like that.
3: I, I don't know. I don't know how many 10s any different than
2: everyone
3: else. know many tens of listeners we have, but I would. I'm ready to work. I know I took the time off, but it's not like I forgot how to be funny, and I just I missed it. I really right. missed it. I missed hanging out with the people and uh, telling the stories. Listen, the stories about the road, they're all true. Anybody who, you can talk to the guys that you know locally, Steve, mm-hmm. Eric, and those guys, they'll tell you, being on the road, away from what you love, family, home, you know, my wife, my kids, that's, that's not fun. But right. when you get to be on stage and make people laugh and feel good about it, and not just do it for the money, Right. you know, because the money is
2: not good. Right. Yeah, it's not about the money, it's about the funny. Exactly.
3: So that's what I miss. So I'm ready to do it again. I'm ready to get back out there. I didn't hate it that much where I don't want to do it again. Right. But now I can do it on my terms. Right. Because I don't really need to do it. And I want to get and back and do it. And you'll enjoy it more. Exactly. And maybe I'll write a book and be back here in 10 years and tell you about <laughs> my book.
2: I'll give you Steve's number. You guys can go over passages and how to write neuro- uh, neurotic stories and craziness from right. our lives. right, right, right. Steve, yeah. now, I know you don't do a lot of stand-up anymore, but you, you told me you have a show coming up. Why don't you share it with the people? I'm sure they're not going to oh, be. Go ahead. Uh, Kathy
1: Ladman called me and said, asked me if uh, I would do a show with her. Kathy, uh, Steve Altman and I would go out on the road a lot together, and uh, she asked me if I would do a show in Palm Springs with her, and I said, Sure. And it'll be the first time I'll be on stage in eight years. Wow! And and if you think you were nervous, yeah, right. Ooh. right.
2: Well, I'm sure you're going to do good. Uh, I mean, well, I hope you have a lot of experience. You could always fall back on some old, dusted-off jokes that ha- people haven't heard. But so much has happened. I don't in the remember
1: lit- my act. <laughs>
2: That's
1: the problem. You know I'm what you old. do? I'm senile.
2: I read the first. You know the first quarter of your book, and I laughed the whole way through. You could take half of the, you know, just the first part of that book that I read. That's what do I'll do. Act. I'll read the book. There you go. Take. <laughs> you could tell the story about your mom and Paris and all that stuff, and people are going to love it because you told me half of these stories are stories that you would tell your friends, and that yeah, it was right. just, you know, it was just that great that you had to write them down. So,
3: Steve, I tell you, I've been, I've seen David Sedaris. Twice live, he just uh-huh. reads he just reads his book.
1: He really, gets, he has a
3: podium and he reads his book, and it's unbelievable. That's why he's not a comedian. He's a he's in he right. essays.
1: Okay,
2: but
1: well you know I It's, hysterical. I, I was, it's hysterical. there's some talk about me doing a one man show from the book, but we should mention the name of the book again. It's called It's So Hard to Type with a Gun in My Mouth.
2: There you go, and you can get that book on Amazon. You could read it on your Kindle, the iPad. You can get it in e and Lulu. Do,
3: do I get a free copy for being on the show, or is that not in the budget? Actually, no, you don't. Oh. <laughs> yes. fact, I, did get, I did get two beers before there the show, so that, I guess that's it, right? Shh, I told him you were only going to have one me, beer. <laughs> can you pick me up and take me to the club?
2: Oh, there you exactly. go. <laughs> well, listen, Steve, I want to thank you for taking out some time. I wish you luck on your book and your upcoming show. Um, thank you so much. I really have enjoyed this. You guys are terrific. I'm glad you had a good That's time. Fun. Rick, thank you for stopping for by the me. studio. Thanks for having me. It was great. I, I wish you luck in starting off again. And who knows, you know, I have some possible shows myself that are coming up. So maybe I can not pay you to do some shows for me. Just like tonight. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's a club owner
2: already. Look. There you go. Listen, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Stay funny. We'll be back next week with Valerie Storm. And we got a couple other great shows coming up with uh, Tom Ryan and Gallagher, who's going to be calling in in March. So we got a couple of great things happening. Uh, you guys keep listening and stay funny. Steve, thanks for calling in. Rick, thanks for stopping by. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Comedy Slam Radio. Have a great night. Good night. What was that? I'll tell you what that was. That was another
1: fine show from ComedySlamRadio.com, where we put the dot-com and comedy.